Hello and welcome to Quilt Achievements Markets Uncut Podcast, your weekly insight into the topics and issues that we've been discussing here at Quilt Achievements. I'm James Hughes, an investment director based out of our London office, and this week I'm delighted to be joined by Alan McIntosh, our chief investment strategist. Good morning, Alan. Good morning, James. And Alan, if I look through the current headlines, there's a lot of negativity and concern around the world, whether it's China, inflation concerns, supply chains, rising energy costs or COVID cases on the increase, one could be forgiven for expecting stock markets to be selling off. However, the S&P 500 is virtually sitting at an all-time high. Can you explain why markets are for the moment ignoring all of the negative news? Yes, um, very, very good question, James. And it might seem counterintuitive, as you say, there's a lot of, um, you know, fairly indifferent to negative economic news, worries about interest rates rising. We've had a lot of narrative from central banks, including uh, the Bank of England here. Uh, Inflation is picking up and the COVID case numbers are also beginning to rise in the UK uh, and in parts of Europe. So there are plenty of reasons for markets to be nervous. I think what we saw in September was actually a, a little bit of a wobble in sentiment. You saw most of the major global stock markets sell off um, between 3 and 5%. Not much in the context of a typical trading period, and, and certainly since markets have recovered from the lows of March 2020, uh, a, a blip that's almost unnoticeable. But you're absolutely right. In the, the last few days, the US stock market has actually closed at a new all-time high. It did so on Thursday evening. And that does seem to be a little bit um, inexplicable uh, in the in the the wake of um, so much caution, um, if I could put it that way. I think the main reason is a very very simple one, actually. If you think that stock markets are actually made up of individual companies, and the the fortunes of those companies very much um, drive um, the the share prices. Uh, of these individual companies. Mm. And we're now just in the the second week of the quarterly results season cycle, um, particularly for US companies, but more and more so European and UK companies. And what we've seen so far is actually quite a healthy picture in terms of companies' announcements uh, in, uh, in the context of their sales, their profits, and more importantly, their margins. I mean, one of the features of the the last few months, as we well know, is a lot of concern about rising costs for companies, whether it be uh, a lack of supply of products, whether it be higher distribution costs because of um, shortages of drivers, shortages of freight capacity, uh, and just generally rising commodity prices, particularly energy prices. So you would be expecting most companies to be squealing a little bit about you know higher cost but in actual fact uh, a, a large number of companies particularly those with with quite high profile and quite strong brands have been able to pass those higher costs onto the consumers not so good for you and i as consumers but actually quite healthy for these companies so we're about um, a third the way through the results season and so far over 80 percent of companies reporting have beaten forecasts for for earnings but particularly i think it's the guidance on margins now this isn't universal there are plenty of companies where they haven't got the ability 
to pass on higher costs in the form of higher prices, but a surprising number at the moment are proving to be quite resilient uh, in this um, period of, of rising costs. Okay, great. That's that's really interesting. I and I guess that um, sort of leads into our portfolio construction in terms of being overweight equities as well. Um, so, so long may that continue. Um, I, I guess the next question is is what are your biggest concerns at the moment, and and what do you think it would take for markets to have a meaningful sell-off? Bearing in mind what's been thrown at them already, and and as you've just discussed, you know how resilient they've been, but but the rationale behind that. Yes, uh, <laughs> I suppose. What am I concerned about? All of the above, all of the things um, I discussed in a previous question. That there is a risk that any or all of them uh, are prolonged um, as as headwinds for for markets and economies for longer than we predicted. I mean, here we are now, uh, nearly twenty months into the pandemic, and. You know, I think most of us um, back in March 2020, when we had the first lockdowns, thought this is for a few weeks. Uh, and, you know, we're very much getting to the end of the second year of this. And there doesn't seem to be much respite uh, in terms of whether it is the contagiousness of this disease globally uh, or indeed the impact it's having on individuals, companies, and, and economic activity. I think the thing that has changed, of course, is the the vaccines, which uh, really only came into effect last November, so just less than a year ago. Um, but it's still imperative that um, the, the vaccine rollout continues. We've been pretty successful in the developed world in rolling out um, vaccines, although we're now at the point where you know, boosters are necessary uh, because the, the the strength, the efficacy, I guess, of the the vaccines is seem to be waning after five or six months of the second jab. I think one of my concerns, um, which could have uh, an impact on markets, is how low um, the vaccination rates are in the developing world. And you know, I think that that is a, a geopolitical problem that really needs to be addressed. Many um, of the poorer countries have an extraordinarily low rate of vaccine and it's lack of access to these vaccines. And many of these countries are actually manufacturing sources for the production of goods that we consume here in the developed world. So for example, Vietnam, which is a, a huge producer of, um, of garments and footwear and electronics, has effectively been in lockdown for the last three months. So, mm. you know, that is a serious problem and it is due to um, high incidence of, of, of COVID. So I think that is something that really has to be, um, you know, rolled out much, much faster. In terms of economic impacts, uh, again, historically, markets sell off for a variety of reasons. I mean, clearly the COVID pandemic uh, caused a sell-off last March, March 2020, and that was an unexpected event. But many um, market setbacks are actually due to policy mistakes from particularly central banks. Mm -hmm. And I suppose the thing that worries me at the moment is we're seeing a rise in inflation um, pretty much everywhere. And we've already had a number of central banks talking about how they reduce the financial stimulus and potentially when they start raising interest rates. And the difficulty is that 
we don't really know how persistent some of these inflationary effects are going to be. Certainly some of them are temporary because of supply bottlenecks and they will resolve themselves, but there could be persistent pockets of inflation. We just don't know. And there is a danger that if inflation lasts a little bit longer and a little bit higher than we previously expected, the central banks get nervous and start raising interest rates quite sharply to try and dampen down higher inflation expectations. Historically, that can cause a bit of a jolt to the economy. And in the worst cases, it can actually um, create recessionary conditions. So I think my, my biggest fear is that the central banks pull the lever of raising interest rates a little bit more aggressively than um, they need to. Remember, we've been in an environment of virtually low zero inflation, in some cases in Europe deflation, since um, 2008-9, the financial crisis. That's a long period with inflation not being a problem. It's now popping up, and I think it may take some central banks by surprise how uh, enduring it is, and they may make the mistake of raising interest rates a little bit too aggressively. So I suppose that's my biggest fear at the moment. And, we, and we've got this, this is sort of no, but very topical for what the Bank of England um, are making noises about as well, um, which, um, yeah, as you say, it would be fascinating to see how they move. Yeah, they well, move. The, the problem with the Bank of England is that there, there's a new chief economist, uh, Hugh Pill, mm. who was um, reported last week suggesting that UK inflation will rise above 5% early next year. Now, clearly, that's way, way above the uh, the targeted rate, which is 2% yeah. for the central bank. You've also got the governor of the Bank of England, Andrew Bailey, pretty much telegraphing that he thinks we will have to act, though his very words, yeah. uh, potentially next month or in December. Now, this looks as if it will happen before they've actually completed their program of quantitative easing, i.e. the central bank purchasing bonds in the market. Now, that is out of kilter with what other central banks are flagging and, and seems a very strange thing from my perspective. Um, but there's no question that the, the Bank of England is concerned about inflation picking up right. and perhaps lasting a little bit longer than, than expected. Um, I suppose the, the cynics would say, well, you know, raising interest rates isn't going to bring the price of natural gas down. It's not going to get more lorry drivers on the road. So why would they do it? I think the the main reason is that demand is actually very strong. We've seen that in the GDP numbers. We've seen it in um, the spending, consumer spending numbers. We've seen it in some of the business indicators. So I think what the Bank of England will be trying to do when they do raise interest rates is just dampen down um, the sheer force of demand in the economy uh, while supply struggles to catch up with that potential demand. So it's a very, very fine balancing act. Mm. Absolutely. I think, you know, to continue the, the theme of inflation, um, you know, inflation concerns and potential interest rate hikes, um, you know, are very much on 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 the minds of investors, which is exactly exactly what we've just spoken about. But historically, gold has been um, a good hedge against rising inflation. Um, if inflation is going to be such an issue going forward, should we be considering um, adding gold to our portfolios? That's an interesting one. We have historically had a, a position in gold, but um, for most of our clients, we unwound that position. 
uh, about a year ago. Mm. It's very strange that you know global stock markets this year, year to date, are up comfortably, you know, mid double digits, you know, fifteen percent or so, and the price of gold is down five percent year to date. Yeah. And that seems again a little bit counterintuitive when inflation numbers are just cited potentially five percent in the UK. It will certainly get to four percent in in the US. One would have thought the gold price should be reflecting that and rising. It's a very very complex commodity actually. Gold, lots of factors drive uh, the the price of it. I think in a, in simple terms, the reason why gold isn't going up in price just now is that the expectation is that interest rates will be going up. And, and two things there, one is you get no income on gold. And if you can get uh, a higher yield on bonds or a higher yield in cash, uh, those instruments look more attractive relative to gold, whereas I say there are only costs uh, associated with insuring and storing mm. it, but there's no income generated from it. But I think the other thing is if if the banks are central banks are raising interest rates early to try and snuff out inflation, then of course the inflation won't exist and therefore the reason for having gold won't be there. So it's a little bit of a conundrum, but I do think the, the main reason that gold is out of favour is uh, the perception that interest rates are going to go up a fair bit in the next year or so. That's not to say that at some time in the future gold won't be uh, a good asset to own, but I think at the moment uh, it's it's probably in the doldrums. Thank you, Alan, um, for those great insights. Um, and before we wrap things up, I would just like to recommend a couple of events that we have coming up. Um, firstly, I'd like to highlight our live research analyst webinar series, Getting Back to the Future. Um, during the eight-part bi-weekly webinar series, you can hear, you can expect to hear directly from our analysts as they discuss current investment themes, um, how the world is getting back, back on track, and most importantly, where are we heading in the years to come? Um, the next episode will take place on Tuesday, 2nd of November, where our analysts will be discussing why your health is your greatest wealth. Um, so please join us um, as they review how these two areas are so importantly linked. Um, I'm, also, I'm also delighted to confirm uh, the return of our award-winning Paraplanner Week, which kicks off on the 15th of November, um, 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. each morning. Our guest speakers will be covering um, current key topics as well as looking into the sectors they believe will be impacting portfolios over the coming years. Um, you can visit our website to reserve your place for both of these series. And for anyone who misses any, you can watch all, all past episodes on demand via our website. Um, we hope to see you there. In the meantime, to stay up to date with our thoughts on markets and issues, you can subscribe to our weekly comment newsletter by visiting www.quiltachievia.com. Um, and for those of you on social media, you will also be able to see up-to-date content on our Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn pages. Um, so all that remains for me today is to thank Alan for his time and to thank um, all of you for listening. And um, we look forward to seeing you at the same time next week. Bye.